what's going on here? Welcome <laughs> to All Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, your host, uh, joined by Jerry Hamilton and Rod Babers. Uh, we are covering your Texas, uh, your 11 and 1 Texas Longhorns. That's right. Uh, Big 12 regular season champs, uh, the final regular season champs of the Big 12. Uh, we've got a lot of questions to get to, a lot of thoughts uh, about the game on Sat on Friday. Uh, some things that have happened yesterday in games, including the double overtime win by Oklahoma State to, to secure their spot against Texas in the Big 12 championship game next Saturday. Uh, we've also got some coaching news. Uh, Mike Elko is the new head coach of the Texas A&M Aggies. Wow. Uh, meanwhile, he got the, the bouquet. What's that? <laughs> He caught the bouquet at the wedding. He caught the bouquet. It hey, wasn't good much job, after all. Hey. <laughs> What a what a you know only the Aggies do it the Aggies way uh, you know which is always backwards and a little convoluted and I I don't even know how to say it. Uh, Baylor recently in like in the last four or five hours came out and said they're keeping Dave Aranda after Aranda uh, you know yeah, they put up a stinker this year guys three and nine. Yeah, I don't even know what to say to you guys. I, I, I'm having a hard time believing they kept him. Uh, I will say this. Uh, he is going to be the defensive play caller next year, and there's going to have to be major play, uh, major changes on his staff. Uh, it's expected Jeff Grimes will no longer be calling the plays in Waco. He's made major changes on the staff every year. He's been there pretty much, <laughs> offense or defense. But you know once you as a head coach are – not when you choose to call the plays, but when you're forced to call the plays, which he has been, you're you're truly on the hot seat then because there is there's no barrier between you and the results and the product on the field, right? It's all about you. It all comes it all comes back to the head coach and the play caller at that point. I, I, Bobby, Bobby, I'm so interested. If I'm fascinated that Baylor held here with with U of H opening. Because if U of H hits a little mini home run, a Big 12 home run, that hurts Baylor. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they, they can't keep up. No. I mean, they're, they're going one more year in the hole. Yep. yep. I mean, but, I mean, look, Dave Aranda, to, to, I don't, no one needs to be, he doesn't, no coach deserves to have excuses. Uh, they're paid so much money. But, I mean, he, the dude dealt with some tough stuff this offseason. Yeah. Uh, dad dying. Uh, he, I was at the Big 12 media days. I mean, you talk about a, a somber guy having to face the media in the midst of something that just uh, was devastating to him. I mean, I I feel for the guy. Um, also, uh, Dana Holgerson's career in uh, Houston has reached room temperature. Uh, he's gone. Uh, the uh, Cougars making that uh, decision apparently today. Uh, so the two moves in are the two moves in state this year will be at, are at least two moves. UTEP, I think. Did that come open or not as well? UTEP yet? did come open. UTEP okay. did come open as well. That So that's the three moves thus far. Of course, if Jeff Trailer at UTSA gets the Houston job or another wants, position. And he wants it. He, he would take that job. That'd be a yeah. great hire for them. Didn't work. Okay. Gary Patterson too, guys. Gary Patterson. If I'm them, I call Trailer and end this thing. Move on with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that look, I will say this when U of H was at its best, which actually was in the 70s, um, they recruited Houston and East Texas. Yeah. I mean, those were their two spots. Jeff Trailer could bring that kind of allure. Yeah. Uh, yep. They 
the back in the seventies when they won the first Big Twelve conference. I mean, they had guys from East Texas, a little from Dallas, and a lot from Houston. And yep, and, won yeah, a I agree lot. there. And he can take he can pretty much take the same blueprint that he's used in terms of the the outreach with the community and with the fans and trying to you know promote the brand that was UTSA because it was in a city a major city like San Antonio. He can take the same blueprint with U of H in terms of his the connection with the fans, connection with the community, and it would. I'm from H Town, man. It would do wonders. Trust me. They they've been waiting for U of H to blow up again, and they got a sugar daddy. They got a sugar daddy. And let me tell you, man, you know what the perks that come with that job are? Man, you're sitting like courtside at all the Rockets games, too, if you like mm-hmm. basketball. So right. I, I might I might throw my resume in there. Just, you know, you never know. Yeah. Maybe you would like to talk to me, talk shop with me or something. It, right. It's a lot like it, it's very interesting because Dallas is different in that SMU. It, it, it's it's a private school, et cetera. U, U of H is a blue collar school, yeah. mostly a, a commuter school. Um, they need someone that has that true outreach and rallies fans. It's just exactly it's just right. a different animal. And I think that Jeff Trailer could could be a great. It, it almost needs somebody that's like a high school coach. I agree. You know oh, that, that brings that group that's together. Um, but point. you know. Look, it, far be it for me to say that Houston's going to do something smart. Uh, <laughs> you know, by the way, Bob, the Aggies, the Aggies are just they they set new records every time. I mean, look, somebody made a joke on Twitter today that the, the Aggies, you know, what do they owe Mark Stoops for his buyout? I mean, he was coach for about five hours. Yeah, apparently, this is what happened, and what what we're hearing is Ross Bjork, the Texas A and M athletic director, took. Mark Stoops to the board of directors and had already received a yes from Stoops thought he had carte blanche to make the decision. And the board of regents said, no, come back with somebody else. I, I had a college coach. I had a college coach. Wow. I reached out and asked the college coach, obviously nobody uh, that's part of the a uh, and Texas, anything like that. And I said, what do you make of that? And his response is, you have to know you have the votes before you go in. I mean, duh. He said that was one of the most incredibly dumb things of all. He said that was somebody trying to power play a hire through. That but didn't have that, power. <laughs> but doesn't that, mean that you're, doesn't that mean you're out of touch with your board, though? Yes. Doesn't mean you're out of touch, like you don't have enough in a political clout with that group? Yep. yep. That's crazy. Uh, well, look, and here's the, the reality of it. I mean – Chris Del Conte gets some love for bringing in Steve Sarkeesian. Yep. But he wasn't bringing in Steve Sarkeesian without Kevin Eltife saying yes, first yeah. and foremost. Right. Uh, Eltife, the, the chair of the Board of Regents of the University of Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't – that's not a yes until he gets that that call. And so um, maybe A&M works a different – I don't even know what to say. Or maybe they're just – they have so many – they have so many Chiefs and not enough Indians, if that hey, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. By the way, two big offensive coordinator hires coming too. Oklahoma with Levy gone and Elko at AM. Because look, Elko is a really good defensive coordinator, kind of like Venables is. Elko will retain Elijah Robinson and some of those guys, right? Um, so but the two big OC hires coming up, uh, and I don't I don't have any information on those right now. Oklahoma, Texas A&M. Those are impactful hires. I'm interested to see interested to see which 
direction does Venables want to stay with that style offense, that scheme schematically or not? Um, and, you know, will either one of those schools make a run at Cliff Kingsbury? I'm interested to find out. Well, I, I think the, the Aggies definitely want to make a run at Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know if he's wanting to get back into the college game is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Uh, that would definitely be an interesting hire. Uh, at Oklahoma, Jerry, it's my understanding with Jeff Levy taking the Mississippi State job, the Oklahoma offensive coordinator, you've got a couple things going on. Uh, one is, what does Dylan Gabriel do now? Does he follow Jeff Levy to Mississippi State? Or does Jackson Arnold follow Jeff Levy to Mississippi State? Or, you know, we, we don't know. Or do both of them stay put? Could be. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is uh, the, the, the odds-on favorite to take the Oklahoma offense coordinator role is a, a guy already on that um, staff, Seth Luttrell, the former North Texas oh, yeah. Head, yeah. head coach, who uh, also uh, played at, yeah, played at Oklahoma as a fullback. Uh, Everybody's, a lot of people are asking about Sark in Texas. Uh, does Sark have to worry about losing coaches? I mean, you know, we'll see. Look, I mean, San Diego State's open. You know what's crazy about the San Diego State job opening, guys? Brennan Marion interviewed there for the head coaching mm -hmm. job. He's killing yeah. it right now, man, as the yeah. OC. Yeah, he's he, he, the OC, uh, who's yeah. having a good year, uh, interviewed for – I don't think he'll get it, but he interviewed for San Diego State. Uh, yeah, so, they are – I believe they're leading the country in rushing touchdowns yeah. right now, running that go-go offense. Which Sark, Sark still uses some of those principles when he he, does. he, he breaks out his multi-back sets. Uh, somebody's asking about Byron Murphy. Obviously, he accepted his senior bowl invite, so he is going pro. He just hasn't announced it yet. As we, we've been saying and expecting. All right, we need to get to some questions. We're going to talk a little bit more recruiting. Jerry has some recruiting news uh, to to uh, get get people up to date on. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit more about Oklahoma State specifically. Uh, but before we do that tonight, I want to say thank you to our sponsor. Uh, each and every Sunday night live stream is brought to you by the fellas at the Cross Oak Group. Cross Oak is one of the leading government affairs firms in Texas specializing in lobbying, political communications, business development, and regulatory compliance. These days, government finds ways to impact nearly every aspect of your business. With decades of experience ranging from the State House to the White House, Cross Oak Group helps its clients hedge risk and protect and grow their bottom lines. To learn more, go to www.crossoakgroup.com. That's www.crossoakgroup.com. Uh, thanks for your sponsorship this season of the Sunday night live stream. All right. We got a lot to talk about. Clearly a lot of questions in the queue. Please feel free to get those in there. If you'd like a uh, couple of notes, I want to talk about the Oklahoma state uh, guys. Yep. Mm -hmm. Ollie Gordon, the running back for Oklahoma state has two, 245 carries 1580 yards, averaging 6.4 yards per carry. Also has another 33 catches. So he's he's adding about 33 uh, catches a game. He is the straw that stirs the drink for that uh, offense. There is no question about it. Their defense is led by Nick Martin, uh, a linebacker uh, who has 90-plus tackles, I think, right now. Uh, Colin Oliver, uh, Kendall Daniels. Uh, Oliver, a defensive end with six sacks. Uh, Daniels, the, second, the team's second-leading tackler, uh, a safety. Uh, they're they're an interesting mix for Texas to match up with because their strength seems to be running the football. Yep. Uh, that seems to be 
Uh, stopping the run seems to be Texas's strength. So it could be strength on strength in Arlington on Saturday. I, I think it's so interesting, too. Ollie Gordon, 1,852 all-purpose yards. And he wasn't the featured back guys until they switched up that running game after that rough start because they're running zone scheme early. Then they went to pull two power game, right? Yeah. They changed after that South Alabama game where they're rotating three quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looked like that season was going to go off the rails. They went with Alan, uh, Alan Bowman. Ollie Gordon became the featured player. They changed up their run scheme. Um, and uh, that, I thought that was the big switch Oklahoma State made and saved their season. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to let Rod talk about this, but I think they're similar to Texas Tech and that their outside guys aren't uh, aren't going to run by you. So I think the Texas fans will love it. I think you're going to see Texas press coverage once again this week. Presley's a good slot. Is he as good as Miles Price, who didn't play against Texas? We'll find out. But I think you're going to see an aggressive Texas defense again this week against Oklahoma State. And if you stop the uh, if you stop the power run game, um, and, and you can play uh, and you can play press coverage on the outside effectively, Alan Bowman's not an athlete at quarterback, guys. Yeah, they it, it it seems like you know Texas wasn't either they weren't scared of the Texas Tech receivers or they decided at this point in the season we are what we are. <laughs> we get beat on certain concepts, whether that be targets to bunch or inside breaking routes. And if we're gonna get beat, we'd rather beat being aggressive than getting beat, you know, giving guys a lot of cushion and giving up a lot of inside leverage. And if they go, and we know that teams that run the football against uh, that, that is their, their run centric, I should say, that's a bad matchup going up against the Texas defense. It was the same thing against Tech, right? Tech, even though they are an air raid offense, DNA wise, last six games of the season prior to playing Texas, they had morphed into being a run oriented offense. And we saw why, right? Katash Brooks is a hell, of a, a hell of a running back and still bad matchup against Texas. Texas matches up well with those kind of offenses. And to Jerry's point, if Oklahoma State doesn't have explosive weapons on the outside to threaten Texas with the vertical passing game, if they get if they get physical on the outside, playing a lot of press coverage, and they bracket Presley in the slot a lot of the times, you can take away pretty much the passing game. And then you can play – Texas can actually still play the run with a lighter box if they want to. Uh, Oklahoma State's averaging almost seven yards, over seven yards per rush versus stacked boxes. That's having more defenders in the box than blockers. So, they, I mean, they can run the football. I wonder what Gundy will have up his sleeve. But they try to come out pass first, even like Texas Tech did. They threw, they came out and passed the football more than most people thought they would. Um, Texas was really aggressive, probably more aggressive than I've ever seen them, having both corners, field and boundary, playing press coverage. And, guys, by my numbers, um, and I know that, obviously, uh, Barrett Morton didn't have a great game. It was a horrible game. But uh, Texas – only allowed two completions, all right, uh, all, all all game long when they had both corners playing press coverage. 18% completion percentage, 18% forced incompletion percentage, meaning they got as many p- p- uh, PBUs and interceptions as they allow completions in that game. Not saying that that's the way they should you know, go uh, going forward, but it definitely worked in that matchup versus Texas Tech. You know, they just out-talented Tech at some level. Uh, on the outside is what it feels like to me. And you know what? I think it caught Tech in their offensive coordinator, Zach Kitley, by surprise. It was clear Texas was going to commit five to six people against the run in Taj Brooks and not let him get going, right? That was the idea. 
don't let him get going. Man up on the outside. Force Tech receivers yep. and Baron Morton to beat you instead of allowing Taj Brooks to just eat up yards inside and playing soft. Uh, Pete Kwiatkowski, guys, I, I don't know if he's going to win the Broyles Award. I don't, you know, I, I don't know who might win that. But, geez, I mean, what a what a three-year run he's had from looking a Texas defense that looked absolutely helpless his first year in Austin, improved last year. Look, a year ago, Texas had 10 interceptions and five fumble recoveries. This year, they had 15, they have 15 interceptions and six fumble recoveries. Yeah. He's doing they're number one in the country in third down defense right now. I mean, that that's just a, a ridiculous stat given where they were just two short years ago. I mean, it, it really, really is. You know what I I, I was thinking about watching. Oak State BYU last night is if o Gundy's going to throw everything at this game Saturday, like BYU threw everything in the punt, kick, onside kick, fake punts, because he knows he's outgunned in this game. He, yep. this is the least talented one through 85 Oak State team I've seen in a decade, right? They got decimated by the portal. Uh, Nick Martin's really good, 120 tackles, six sacks at linebacker, the best linebacker nobody really knows by name amongst Big 12 fans. And then Colin Oliver can rush the quarterback, and he's forced. He's really good. Fumbles. I like him. And he can he forces fumbles too. But this, as a team, they're just not that as talented as they have been, especially up the middle at defensive tackle, offensive line. Um, I, he is going to do. If, if you watch how BYU tried to beat Oklahoma State with the trick plays and just going for everything, that's what Gundy's going. He has nothing to lose in this game. He's, I mean, you know, if he wins, it's not like he's going to, you know, play in the Fiesta Bowl necessarily. I guess he would. He'd win the Big 12 championship. He would. He does have something to play for. But that's why you just go for it on this game because he knows he's overwhelmed by talent with Texas. He's no dummy. He's seen the Texas good, and he's seen Texas bad. And he's he knows this is Texas good. All right, guys, it's time for you all to get some questions in. If you want, to, want uh, questions, let us know. Just uh, write the uh, request in the uh, caption down there. Uh, and we will try to get to them as we can. Uh, this one's from Justin Yarbrough, a super chat. Hearing Jeff Levy is trying to bring a lot of OU offensive staff to Mississippi State. Where do you all think OU goes to for offensive coordinator? And does that hurt them going into next season? I've already said Seth Luttrell is expected to be the next offensive coordinator. Yeah. That's what everybody has told me. He was kind of like offensive coordinator and waiting, even if Levy was going to get let go. Because yeah. of his affiliation and bringing down Art Browse on the sideline, if y'all remember that, there was yeah, a, a that. about that yeah. uh, this year, uh, and everybody said, "Well, Latrell could call the place." Here's a, the question: Is that I'm more interested in is does that hurt them going into next season? Anything that gets Dylan Gabriel out of that offense, that specific offense, is a good thing for Texas and anybody that plays OU. Yeah. Because he is a little bit of a machine in that offense. He yes, knows he where everybody's supposed to be, when they're supposed to be, and how they're supposed to be. And you can't create that level of confidence if you install a new or even tweak an offense, Rod yep. and Jerry. Um, he he has that offense so down pat uh, that if they if they change it, that, yeah, it's going to hurt him, in my opinion. So here's it the may help them long term, two or three years from now. But dude, they've got an operator in that that system that uh, you, you, it's hard for me to say no. 
if that makes sense. Here's what's interesting. Mm-hmm. Jackson Arnold played in a similar scheme in high school and went to Oklahoma in large part due to that scheme. Which of those two quarterbacks is going to end up at Mississippi State? If Dylan Gabriel stays, Jackson Arnold's probably out. So Brent Venables has a decision to make there, guys. Yeah, I mean, do. do you want to keep Dylan Gabriel for one more year and and probably watch your five-star quarterback uh, walk out the door, the high school teammates of Peyton Bowen, big in your recruiting class, and a guy they like long-term? Um, you know, so it, I'm interested to see what happens. My bet is Dylan Gabriel heads east is my bet, but I don't know for sure. Um, but um, – the only thing I would say is Dylan Gabriel is not very big for the SEC. Yeah. 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 Uh, somebody's saying Jackson Arnold's dad already said he's staying. I I, I wouldn't uh, trust that one necessarily. I, I would let things play out. It's, um, I, I, I know what he's saying, but I'm just behind the scenes. That's not what's really going on. <laughs> RL from Chesville. Dylan Gabriel going to put in for Social Security when his – College career is over. <laughs> hey, a former Texas Longhorn is going back for his seventh year. Cam Rising. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. former Texas quarterback out of Newberry Park, California, hey. who transferred to Utah and started for the Utes and led them to the Pac-12 championship yeah. last year. He's going back next year for a seventh year. Guys, I mean, it's, it's becoming a regular thing. What Frank Harris, how many years has Frank Harris had? Frank Harris been there he forever. graduated high school in 2017. <laughs> It's that that COVID year on top of the uh, the obviously NCAA loosening their restrictions about the transfer portal. I have no idea about classification anymore. I have no idea what anybody is, how many years they have left. <laughs> uh, but I, I will say this though: the reason and you guys are right, you hit the nail on the head, Jerry, about Dylan Gabriel. The reason it's so important for Dylan Gabriel and that system, guys. No quarterback in the country is more familiar with their offensive system than Dylan Gabriel is with the Veer and Shoot. He's been yeah. in his entire college career. To, to Bobby's point, he's been in college for seven years now, and, you know, he's been in that same system. So he's going to have success as long as he stays in that system. So where the system goes, he probably should go. That's why it's really intriguing. Does Oklahoma bring in that system? I mean, who's running the Veer and Shoot? Can't, you can go to the Browse fam. The closer you get to the Browse tree, that's who's running the beer and shoot. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to touch the Browse tree these days. That's the whole point. Yeah. Well, it's going to be hard for them to hire Kendall Browse. Exactly. You know uh, what I mean? The offensive coordinator at TCU. Yeah. I, I, I'll add this. Um, the, the the other thing to consider uh, for me in that that situation is, is Jackson Arnold just a veer and shoot quarterback or is he a pro-style quarterback? So they – Jackson Arnold may not be the answer for them anyways. They they think he is. In the veer and shoot, he probably would have been, Jerry right. and Rod. That's Let's fair. see if he can. he's actually a, a quarterback that can adapt because we don't know that yet. And, you know, that, that can be – same can be said for a lot of freshman quarterbacks. Right. So I'm not trying to right. pin that on Jackson Arnold somehow. Yeah. But, but to Rod's point, to Rod's point with him, he played in that system in high school. There's so much familiarity. I, I – that that will be interesting um, to see what wh- which way uh, he goes if Dylan Gabriel comes back to Oklahoma. I mean, it, you know, I know look nil anything can happen, but it'd have to be a big one. Hey Jerry, I got to ask you this one. Uh, Jay, the activist with the super chat, is Jarek Gibson, the IMG running back, decommitting from Texas? He was in Austin on Friday, Jerry, uh, and then you know what he did? He went and visited Florida yesterday for the Florida State game. He of course lives and grew up. Uh, in Gainesville, 
Yeah. Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, look, it, I'll say this. It's the same thing with Xavier Phil same the other direction. Um, if he makes an official visit to Florida, that that normally is a pretty big indicator late in December. If he shows up December 9th on an official visit to Florida, that's probably a pretty strong indication. Just like if Xavier Phil same shows up in Austin on an official visit, December 9th, that's probably not the best news that Florida wants. So um, it'll be interesting. But he does live in Gainesville, right? He's been there for – that's his third game this year. He was a one-time Florida commitment, right? So here's the question there is what's Jonathan Brooks going to do? If Jonathan Brooks comes back, then, you know, it, hey, Jarrett Gibson was at that game and he saw Jaden Blue rip off a long run. He said, all right, I know Cedric Baxter's good. We, we know each other. We're friends. If Jonathan Brooks is coming back, you know, Christian. Ray Wiser looked pretty good too, guys. Wiser. They did. They all look good. Yeah. <laughs> it was running back committee and they all looked like it was a five-star committee. Exactly. Right? <laughs> it was pretty good. Hey, Jerry, I want to go back to you because this is a good one. Uh, and you guys have already talked to Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker out of Jasper. He's affirmed that he's sticking with Texas A&M at this point. Uh, Daniel Kinneman asking this, and I think it's a, a broader question as well. How will Mike Elko and his hire at Texas A&M affect recruiting overall for the Aggies? I think it also affects their ability to keep certain players on the current roster not going into the portal too, right? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and I think there's a good and bad with that, by the way. Um so I think that's what will be interesting with that. But how does that affect her? Ty Anthony Smith, look, Texas wasn't – like Texas is really trying to flip Xavier Phil same. Texas has been recruiting Ty Anthony Smith, but it's not the same level as Xavier Phil same. Um, so that's the one thing, though. If if if, if Justin Williams or Ty Anthony Smith and – and Justin Williams hasn't been in contact with Texas as much in the last 10 days as he had been previous to that, by the way. If one, it, Justin Williams would be the Xavier Phil same at linebacker for Texas. So Texas likes Ty Anthony Smith. They've always liked Ty Anthony Smith. He's not really in getting close to that category. So yeah, we absolutely need to go flip that guy. But I'll say this, with Elko being hired, I'm not even sure it would matter. He, he's stuck with uh, Texas A&M when a lot of his teammates or future teammates or guys from that area were bouncing out of that class. Um, so I, I think that shows a little bit of Ty Anthony and his loyalty to Texas A&M, which is nothing wrong with that. Very good player, by the way. Um, I think it'll be interesting. I think what, uh, I think the, uh, A&M and will be more energized with Elko and, and Elijah Robinson than it would have been with Mark Stoops. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that, I think that is going to help A&M's recruiting. I think they've been energized in NIL for quite a while. All right, yeah. DC history. I, mean, I, think they're, I think they're ready to throw in the towel on the Stoops thing, though. Oh, wow. And that, <laughs> that was Armageddon. Um, hey, uh, DC history has a little bit of a tweak to this question that I think is important. Uh, Mod on AM site mentioned the decision makers like the idea of Elko because, quote, he would keep the roster intact needed to win the Texas game next year. Will that game affect UT's aggressiveness in the portal? Mm. Like, is Texas going to all of a sudden – go harder in the portal just because they play um, A&M next year? No. no. But what I found was interesting is that some A&M reporters saying that we need to keep the roster in intact just so we can win the first game back against Texas. Is that mm -hmm. is that some sort of hallmark mm -hmm. that we need to talk about already 
Yes. 365 days from now? Yes, let's talk about it every day. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I, yeah. Somebody <laughs> may be a little consumed with somebody else at that point. Hey, but but I'll, I'll be, I'll, let's be real. AM needs to beat Texas next year, the first year in the SEC. They need to win that game. I mean, they especially with a new coach, they need to win that game next year. That game's in College Station too, correct? Yep. Yes. Uh, they don't need to lose that one next year. No, yeah. that is they need to win that game. So I, I think that is you know look what, what did Rod say about Sark game planning all summer, for Alabama, and that yep. was the game. He knows. I mean, look, Sark's had success against Elko when Elko was at A and M, and Sark was at Bam. I mean, that's a different talent level, to be clear, right? But uh, um, there's there's no doubt that. This is a, a, a this is the Super Bowl of all Super Bowls for AM next year. Yes. They don't want to lose to Texas in year one in the SEC. Now, in- they, they will start game playing for that game tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> I because I agree with Jerry to that extent. I think if you're talking about this momentum, we these big games, this marquee games are all about momentum, and we know that coaches circle those games and they do extra preparation in the offseason for those big games. If we're going to say on one end that Texas ascent to going 11 and one and now being in a college football playoff discussion has put pressure on AM that, yes. hey man, Texas comes to the SEC next year, right. recruiting in the state. Y'all better pick it up because if not, they about to come with a tidal wave of momentum that's just going to overwhelm you like tsunami style. Can't have that. If you're going to say that on one hand, I think we all agree there's some substance to that. You know, on the other hand, yeah, I'm sure AM feels that. And I'm thinking, all right, listen, listen, AM, think about this, guys. Adam still doesn't have a true right. Texas is their rival. That's it. They don't have another rival. Nah. They want LSU to be their rival. LSU's like, nah, we don't want to be your rival. Everybody wants every it, it, nobody wants to go dumpster diving with their rival, right? No, <laughs> everybody wants to outkick their coverage when it comes to their rival. You want your rival to be sexier, you know, on the on the on the grand macro scale. And essentially, that's why nobody wants to be Andrew's rival. They're thinking, man, I'm better than Adam. LSU's like, I'm better than Adam. And Arkansas would love to be AM's rival, but AM thinks they're better than Arkansas. They're like, no, 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 we're on a different level than Arkansas. So everybody's like, you know, playing these games where I'm a little bit uh, more respectable than this opponent. I that's why Texas and Oklahoma they do fit, right? Because they they, there's a there's a mutual respectability about the brand and what they've accomplished and that kind of stuff. So both programs respect and hate one another. Um, So I think that helps you become a rival. Um, so I think for AM, they don't have a right. This is their rival. Their rival's coming back, baby. So I'm with Jerry. Oh man, game plan about to start. So as we get this coaching staff done, we're gonna start game planning for this Texas game because we beat them. Because Texas is gonna be ranked real high. I'm with them. I, I, I want to say this: the hire of Mike Elko goes against the grain for the Aggies. The last two hires, they brought in a, a hot shot coach from Houston and Kevin Sumlin. Then they brought in a guy that had won the national championship at Florida State. Uh, they've tried a number of different ways uh, to get this done. Maybe the this approach might be better for him. I mean, we, we don't know yet. I will say that his record at Duke is 16-9, and nine, and he has a pro quarterback right now over there. He has a really good quarterback. And so – I, I, you know, I think it'll come down to quarterback play with him. And and he was not, while he was a good defensive coordinator, he wasn't a witch at Texas A&M, right. in my opinion. I mean, a lot of teams scored a lot of points on him, including Alabama. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. It, I, I, we've had some Xavier Phil Same questions. I want to address that. Um, somebody's asking if uh, a, a, another safety 
uh, that got an RPM from a Keith Niebuhr colleague friend to Florida. Is that because they think Phil Same slipping? That has nothing to do with Xavier Phil Same. He's seen as a different position uh, with Florida, so that one has nothing to do with it. Uh, now, yeah, that's the question I was getting at. Now that that they don't have anything to do with each other uh, in the Florida and the people that cover Florida's uh, thinking right now. Um, Xavier Phil Same obviously was at Texas with his father. Uh, for a midweek one-day visit. Then he went to Florida on Friday, uh, was there for the game Saturday. I think the big thing he took from those two games, he wa- he wanted to watch teams prep. He wanted to watch some a practice or walk through, watch them prep, kind of watch the team. Uh, uh, you know, Xavier's a big – he's a football thinker, man. He's a football thinker. Rod would like – Rod would enjoy him on the football well, theory uh, yeah. uh, show. <laughs> yes. um, so he's a, he's a thinker on a little bit different level. He sees an opportunity to play early at either school, um, and we'll see. We'll see what happens there uh, with Xavier Phil Same and Texas and Florida. I do think there's a chance he returns to Texas campus before signing day, and that's really the next thing I'm looking for. Uh, if that gets scheduled, that will be the bad news for Florida. But um, I do think the, uh, the three letters will be very impactful in this recruitment. All right. Hey, uh, this one from Tommy. Uh, will the Texas One Fund be tailgating in Arlington? I spoke to them uh, earlier today uh, uh, and a little bit yesterday. The The problem is they don't allow tailgating at Jerry World. What? So th- it's going to be hard. One thing that will be happening, Jerry and I, Jerry Hamilton and I, will be in, be in uh, Dallas on Friday having our live stream on Friday afternoon with Rod Babers. We'll be at Terry Black's Barbecue. Uh, so you guys come on down, visit with us, hang out. Uh, we're inviting people that want to uh, be there for the Texas One uh, Fund to also come out as well. Anybody and everybody, as long as you're a Longhorn, uh, come out and uh, hopefully uh, we can get together and have a little fun on Friday afternoon uh, prior, prior to the game. I don't know yet about Saturday morning because, frankly, the game starts at 11 a.m. Uh, so that's going to be hard. I will say this about that. Make sure you get to the game early because traffic at Jerry World can be absolutely nuts and you will miss the first quarter if you leave too late. I mean, you will just miss the whole quarter. So realize that and and get get ahead of that. Okay, uh, here's one, a different question from Kyle Witherspoon. Uh, It goes back to the college football playoff, guys. Assuming Texas wins the Big 12, that means beating Oklahoma State uh, on Saturday – we would move in front of a couch-sitting Ohio State, right? What if FSU wins and Bama beats UGA? Mm. This is a this is a great question. And here, two-part question. First of all, Texas definitely moving in front of an Ohio State team that did not win their conference championship yes. and did not play. That's going to happen. If FSU wins, this is going to be the hard decision that they have to make. Bama beats UGA. Does Bama go instead of Texas? Does Bama go even instead of UGA? Does Texas go over Bama? There's a head-to-head win. Does the SEC get left out of the yeah. college football playoff? Could. I mean, what what happens? I tell you what, Florida State winning would cause some some uh, yeah, consternation no. uh, because yeah. then you're you're it's a beauty it's a beauty pageant at that point. Other than because other than Michigan and in Georgia, there won't be any undefeateds. It's going to be a parade of three different one-loss teams if Florida State loses. The conundrum with Florida State if they win is that Florida State's 
you know, if you're trying to get the four best teams, it's pretty clear everybody knows they're not one of the four best teams. Right. Would they be one of the four most deserving teams? No question. Deserving. You want you undefeated. You deserve to go. So the committee, what's their responsibility? Four best teams, most deserving teams. You know, they'd have to make that determination. I would think you'd go with best teams over deserving. Um, but we'd have to see how that goes and how they look in that that situation. I think chaos is good for Texas. So if Bama doesn't indeed beat Georgia, that's great for Texas. The more chaos, the better. Because I think it makes Texas' resume look even more impressive when there's chaos. A lot of one-loss teams. Bama beating Georgia? Hell, that, that Texas win over Bama in Tuscaloosa? Man, it's foreign away the best. You can't even – got to talk about it no matter if you're talking about Bama's case or Texas' case. You have to bring up that win. And I think chaos would help Texas, whether it be – uh, you know, Oregon, you know, beating Washington, whatever it may be. So I'm rooting for chaos, actually. Yeah, yeah I, 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 so here, here's my, here's my thought on it. Hold on one second, Jerry. I want to get this because this is, this may impact your, your, your discussion from Burt Reynolds. Will the college football playoff committee appropriately value the win versus Bama if it's UT Bama versus last spot? And this is the add on. Will it severe, if not, would it severely damage? future non-conference television revenue if they discount it. Te- why would Texas go play Ohio State and Michigan in the preseason? Uh, they, why would Alabama or Georgia play anybody worthwhile in the preseason? They wouldn't because there's no value a- attached to it other than dollars. Well, so I think it's an interesting conversation because on the surface, if we're staying with a four-team playoff, yes. But we're going to a 12-team playoff now. Mm-hmm. That changes the game to me. Because yep. there's going to be three lost teams from the SEC get in the future college football playoffs. And that's the other interesting thing to me with this committee this year. They have the biggest get-out-of-jail-free card of all time with whatever, whatever their decision is. Hey, it's the last year, this this messed-up system that we were putting. So we're gonna, <laughs> let's go with the 12 next year. We This doesn't, you know, it's the last year. I mean, sorry, FSU, but I agree with a po- uh, somebody that said Ohio State lost um, – uh, JT Barrett and still got into the playoff. If yep. FSU w- if wins beats Louisville, they're getting in. I Man. just don't. See, I don't see a scenario where they're but not. Ohio in. State won their won their conference championship like fifty six to seven. I know, year. I know. Well, in, in the different scenarios, but here, here's the thing. Here's if the thing. Florida State goes and beats Louisville fifty six to seven. I would put Florida State in the playoff too. That definitely won't happen. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, but. You know, it, Louisville FSU will be interesting because somebody asked, did Louisville get caught looking ahead? I mean, Louisville just had three turnovers in that game. It, it, Kentucky had 283 yards. I think Louisville had like 410. I mean, they did everything except not turn the ball over in that game. Yep. Uh, Florida scored 15 points because Billy Napier's a bonehead in that game. Um, <laughs> and it, it should have worn a dunce cap after the uh, double reverse pass of 12 nothing with the ball on the FSU side a field with five minutes to go when you're running the ball on them that you want to talk about mismanagement of situational football. Billy Napier takes the hat in college football for that one this year. But uh, you know, Louisville, if Louisville handles FSU's pass rush, I think they can score enough to win the game. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's going to be the key. Can they handle the pass rush? of FSU. If they do, Jeff Brom will put up more than 15 points in that game. And then we'll see what the FSU offense does. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, folks, everybody out there, if you're just now joining us, uh, this is a Longhorn live stream brought to you by uh, the fine folks at Cross Oak Group. Uh, Cross Oak Group uh, is uh, the people you want to call if you're looking for a government affairs firm in Texas that specializes in lobbying, political communications, business development, and regulatory compliance. These days, government finds ways to impact nearly every aspect of your business uh, with decades of experience ranging from the state house to the White House. Cross Oak Group helps its clients hedge risk and protect and grow their bottom lines. To learn more, go to www.crossoakgroup.com. All right, I want to ask y'all this, and and this I put this super chat up here so everybody in the chat could actually join in and maybe give us their predictions as well. This from Tubbin in Texas. This week, I've got Texas winning 42 to 17. That's a blowout. Right now, I will add this. The the line, I believe, is 11 and a half. Yeah. Texas is favored uh, by an 11 and a half over the Cowboys. Obviously, that's uh, last by my math, that's 25 points. That's a little bit different. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, let's, ask, let's ask this one, guys. Uh, and this is from KD35. I am the best. Uh, when Texas wins Saturday, is the college football committee going to want to see a Texas D that can challenge and drive TV ratings versus Georgia or a cakewalk versus a backup FSU team that's going to plummet TV ratings? I, I, TV cannot be part of the conversation here. I mean, that no offense, but that I, I hear what you're saying, but the college football playoff committee what do y'all think? I mean, they can't be. It's got to be what what they put on the field. The, the thing I have a problem with, and thank you for the, the generous super chat, Katie. Um, the problem I'm having right now is this, and this is from Matthew Koshin. Why is Oregon ahead of Texas? Seriously. Why? Well, because they've taken care of business more authoritatively yeah. than Texas has? Yeah. It's that, not, it's that, yeah. not because going to Utah and beating Utah with their – third string QB is equated to beating Alabama on the road, right? Yeah. I think it's a style points thing. I really do. I, I just think it's straight style points, Rod. Right now it is. Yeah. I test. I think so too. And the the crazy thing was when that first ranking came out and Oregon was ahead of Texas, we weren't really talking about it then because Texas was, you know, coming off the OU loss, trying to uh, piece this thing back together. Um, with an injured football team. When Oregon was ahead of Texas in the first ranking, that was an issue for Texas because Oregon's resume building was actually going to be after that ranking. They've yep. played the hardest part of their schedule after that. 
And now they're sitting there, going to be one spot ahead of Texas Tuesday night. And I think they're going to beat Washington. And so they're going to sit there, and now they're going to beat one of the undefeateds uh, while Texas is going to be playing Oklahoma State. Um, so do I think Oregon should have been ahead of Texas? No, I don't. But the, the, my, the conversation is to me is where we're at now. And where we're at now is Oregon is ahead of Texas, and mm-hmm. they're probably going to go beat Washington and avenge that loss earlier when they dominated that game and lost barely on the scoreboard. Um, they're going to avenge that loss. And that their best resume building's been after the first playoff ranking came out. That's why that was an issue for Texas when that ranking came out. Uh, is is the the, the resume was going to build from there for Oregon? I, I want to yeah. add this: uh, Oregon's not only uh, doesn't have a big win necessarily at this point, other than that Utah game, I guess. Um, they lost to Washington. Uh, that game, I just. Just so we we know, that game was at Oregon, right? At Washington. So it was it at Washington? Yeah. I'm sitting here trying to realize whether that – because I'm not seeing an at sign there. Maybe it was. Okay. The, the point that I'm trying to make, though, here is Oregon's loss. They also – don't forget they have a common opponent with Texas if you're deciding between those two teams, and that's Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. Now, Texas Tech – you know, they just lost they, – they lost by 50 to Texas versus eight versus Oregon. That's a common opponent. You know, I, I, I give up a little bit because I think it's an imperfect system. Uh, but any way you slice it, it it's going to be interesting. The one thing that I would add to you, Jerry and, and Rod, I don't know if you all saw this. You talk about Stones having a, having a pair. Did mm-hmm. you all see Kalen DeBoer's <laughs> play call? Yeah. Beautiful. That was amazing. <laughs> That was fourth and one. It's amazing. With the game tied against Washington State, fourth yep. and one on your own 29 mm-hmm. with a minute left. So if you turn the ball over there, they kick a field goal, they win. Yep. Fourth and one, and he runs what? A reverse. Reverse. A, a true pitch back reverse. Trust me, Sark was watching, and Sark was taking <laughs> Sark took his pants off. Trust me, man. Sark took his pants off and Sark enjoyed that moment. I guess Sark was like, that's what I want. Sark was like, that's, that's me. I want to Rod, Rod, he would have run it the other way and had Romeo throwing it. <laughs> yeah, Xavier. <Hardy. laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. All right. Hey, hey, you, but, guys, hey, you know what that call remind me of? Scott Surratt in the playoffs at Carthage, watching them for a decade. That's what that was like. You're just like, what in the hell did I just wow. see at this point in the game? That's yeah. what that reminded me of on a much bigger scale, obviously. I, I saw that, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That was one of the gutsiest, smartest. Yes, it was. Openest play calls I've Maybe. seen. I mean, they, nobody was – I mean, he made it by – he ran for 20 or 30 yards. Well, I mean, nobody even saw him. It wasn't even yeah, because it was it was so unorthodox. It was like, this, this is not gonna, no, it's not really running a reverse. Running a reverse, a pitch back reverse, Rod. Uh, it was bold. That was bold. That was yeah. took a stone. That took a pair hey, right there. Jerry, will you mind taking this one for us from Coachy Samuel? Um, how likely are we to see Corey and Kobe Black in the Longhorn secondary next year? Kobe, of course, the recruit. Corey, the young man that is, I believe, a junior or senior yeah. 
and is his brother that starts for Oklahoma State. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that we'd be totally speculating there. Um, I do think there's a decent chance uh, Kobe's in a Texas uniform. And what's interesting is he's announcing Wednesday, and, of course, he'll be at the game Saturday uh, mm. watching his brother at Oklahoma State. And, I'm, you know, unless something really weird happens, uh, Kobe's going to be committed to Texas watching that game. So um, it'll be it'll be stands divided in that game. But, no, it's obviously uh, – um, I'd be speculating on that. We'll have to see. I mean, look, if, if Kobe does pick Texas on Wednesday, then Texas has three corners, high school corners in the class. One of those guys probably ends up at star. Uh, it depends on what happens with the Wardell Mac, uh, but you'd have Santana Wilson, um, and, and you'd have Kobe black and, and you'd have Wardell Mac in the class. And then if you look at what's coming back, Gavin Holmes can come back. Terrence Brooks can, is, is obviously back. Manny Muhammad's back. Where are they going to play Warren Roberson? He played corner late in that game, mm-hmm. Friday night against Tech. They're pretty heavy on corner if Kobe Black commits. Need young safeties right now. That's, yeah. Need young safeties. All right. Uh, here's one that I think is good uh, for you guys and, and to really contemplate. From Archmania. I think something broke in that Iowa State game with Sark and the team. Do you all see an extra level of intensity and fire since then? I will tell you what I think. I think they finally realized, you know what, we have a chance to play. We no longer have to tiptoe through the rest of the schedule. Now everything's out there for us. It's not this long, big season. Everything is out there. We win. We get to play for whatever we want to play for. I think they, they've gotten to the fact that now it's not this long, monotonous season. This is the fun part. Yeah. And I, yeah. Keeping, keeping somebody's interest level, especially an 18, 19, 20-year-old, that's part of the process of being a good program versus just being an up-and-coming program. Like Nick Saban, all of his guys are used to playing for stuff in November and December. There's not a single player on Texas's roster that's really played for anything in November. Yeah. I will say that it also makes it easier when your opponents talk a lot of trash. Hey, yeah. Your opponents talked a lot of trash before the game, off season, after the last game, last season. So I'm not saying that that's the reason why, but it does coincide with these butt whippers that uh, the uh, obviously chatter is talking about. Yeah. What do you think about that, though, Rod? Do you think that you've seen a different team since that Iowa State game or uh, during maybe the start of the second half in that Iowa State game? No, I agree. I'm not talking about Sark, right? I, I think that Sark has become kind of a different play caller. I love that he took his game to the next level. He was a chess master in that Iowa State game in that second half versus John Haycock. We've talked about it. I've kind of documented it. And I love what I saw in the Texas Tech game. That was, you talk about an all around game. We've been, preaching and, and praying and, and hoping to get a team that plays a full four-quarter game and a complete game, all three phases. And I think that's what we witnessed versus Texas Tech. All three phases scored, you know, more dominant performances. Uh, when you're talking about covering kicks, or when you're talking about returning kicks, when you're talking about defense, pass rush, it was the best game for the pass defense all season. We haven't seen the past defense of Texas look that good. Oh, you're going to help Baron more than 2.4 yards per attempt. Um, and, and so the running game, it ain't no fun if your homies can't have none help. They had four different guys out there running the damn football, and it wasn't much of a drop-off. They were all 
breaking big runs, breaking explosive runs. Honestly, the, the most underwhelming element of the game was probably Quinn. He just he just kind of got lost in the shuffle because they didn't, they didn't need Quinn to have a great game or a big game because they got so many different guys that were contributing from all three phases. So, um, yeah, I mean, I hopefully this is a launching point for this team that now they are peaking at the right time. That's As a coach, that's always your hope is that when your team needs to be at their best, that they're playing their best. It was seen, conference championship coming up, the best performance that we've seen from Texas football all season long. Now, granted, the opponent was Texas Tech, and Texas was ready for them, and they didn't look like they were ready at all. Uh, but I don't – Texas played to a standard in that game. They did not allow uh, the incompetence, ineptitude, inadequacy of Texas Tech to affect their performance and the standard they played to. That's what we've been waiting on. Hopefully it continues versus Oklahoma State. But Oklahoma State, don't talk trash. Well, actually, talk some trash, please. Because <laughs> But if you do, it's, trust me, it's going to blow up in your face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one real quick, uh, guys, from Leon Lemuel. Uh, two questions. Do you think te- the Tech win can be a turning point for Texas to believe and put their foot on an opponent's throat? Why doesn't the CFP give Texas credit for their body of work? I, so I think the first thing is, um, um, you know, I, I think the one thing with, with the uh, uh, stepping on people's throat is, look, I mean, Texas is Texas plays good teams. I mean, I you know, look, Texas kind of let Kansas State back in that game, but going into that game, I don't think anybody thought Texas should beat Kansas State 40 to 10 or 40 to 7, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think that is a hard thing to do. I think we've said this, we've said this all year. Texas is a very talented team. Are they what Georgia's been the last two years talent-wise? They're not there. You know, I mean, they don't have that many first-round picks on defense where they can absolutely just overwhelm you and smother you. Texas does a very talented offense, but they don't have Alabama's offensive talent from those years Sark was there where they had four first-round picks at wide receiver, and literally everybody that started was an NFL draft pick or player. I mean, that. so it's not like that yet, but there's a mentality that goes with it. So they they can't just walk out on the field and just – overwhelm you with talent i think they did that to tech a little bit and i do think they're going to do that to oklahoma state saturday but they're not in a position where they're going to do that against the oklahoma or kansas state necessarily i would love to see it one day um but i just don't think they're there yet hey guys we are 53 minutes into this chat and we have not mentioned arch manning once (laughs) hey Uh, you know uh, other than, I guess, the, the, the handle Archmania earlier. Uh, Kyle S., I can't help but feel like some fans take Quinn Ewers for granted. He makes it look easy. The games he missed showed how crucial he is, and he deserves the love. Look, you're not going to hear we, – we critique players here, in all fairness, but you're not going to talk any anybody that denigrates Quinn Ewers uh, in, on this show. Uh, not that I've heard, and, and you shouldn't. Uh, I think that fans can get carried away with it, just like uh, guys like we can as well. Uh, but I, I think the Texas fans are very grateful for Quinn Ewers. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, you look at what he's done at Texas, uh, what he came into. I mean, he came to Texas after Sark was five and seven. Like he said, okay, I'm leaving Ohio State and coming to you, Sark. At yep. five and seven. So I don't, I don't take Quinn Ewers for granted. 
I mean, I may not think he's going to be the one-one draft pick that some people may have thought he was going to be, but I don't take him for granted because where this program would have been not only last year but this year without him, I, you know, they're not eleven and one. I'll tell you that much. Hey, you Arch and or Malik Murphy, they're not eleven and one. No way. You have more time to appreciate him because I think he's coming back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Hey, uh, we got a couple other things uh, to, to just talk about. Uh, just quick ones here uh, for everybody. If okay. Oregon wins, but uh, Bo Nix gets hurt, uh, are they out? What do you think? Uh, you know who else? And this is from UT Parking. You know who else passed the eye test like Oregon? Ted Bundy. Wow. Come on. Uh, all right, Sean T, does the Florida State five and a half favorite betting line surprise you? No, it doesn't. And I'll start with this and we can ask the rest. It doesn't surprise me, and I'll tell you why. Florida State has a lot more talent than Louisville. Yeah, they are much more talented. Yeah. Florida State has a chance to just run the ball over Louisville. Mm-hmm. I mean, if 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 Kentucky can run the ball against Louisville. Florida State's going to be able to run the ball against Louisville. And all then all their quarterback has to do is play pitch and catch to a couple of really elite receivers. I I think that that's, that's a great matchup in some ways for Florida State, but uh, we'll see. Uh, as far as Oregon, I look, if he gets hurt, if Bo Nix gets hurt and Oregon still wins and the playoff committee doesn't consider injuries, even though they're supposed to, I don't know what to tell you. He's the, he's a leading Heisman candidate right now, guys. Mm-hmm. It looks like he's going to win the Heisman based on – I think the Heisman actually, and this is going to be uh, one thing. Remember how the Heisman the year Colt had the bad game against uh, Nebraska, but Texas still won? Yeah. yeah. Effectively lost the Heisman that night. I could agree He's going to win it, and he effectively lost it. Bo Nix could do the same thing against uh, Washington. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great point. It's a it's it's a game that basically is a de facto college football playoff quarterfinal for them because they could who the winner is yeah. going to go to the college football playoff. And I agree with you I, I, on that, Bobby. He could win and lose the Heisman that night, pretty much, because I believe he's the second best odds or the best odds between him and Picks and somewhere around there. Yeah, I think I think the winner of that game, and if one of them has a standout, they win it. But the uh, great chance. The other one is Jalen Daniels is sitting home watching. He can't have a bad game this week. <laughs> so, yeah. but I, I, but I agree. I, th- I think. Look, I think if, uh, um, I think if uh, Nick's goes out and has a big game and they win, he's going to win the award. And he should. Yeah. It, it, the guy that lost three games or four games that's sitting at home shouldn't win it. Yeah, it's a tough sell. Yeah, tough I, sell. I agree. Hey, right, Jerry, this one's for you, dude. All right. From Thogeta, been watching OTF uh, on Texas football for the majority of the year, and notice Jerry is one of the only co-hosts that doesn't say hook him. <laughs> so what's going on, Jerry? I get one it. from him with a W on Saturday. Don't do it yet, Jerry. You're not allowed yeah. to do it yet. But That's we're going to ask you to do horns up like fine bomb. Do we get it if it happens? <laughs> Dude, I, 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 I do that all the time at the end of shows. <laughs> I will test. I do shows with Jerry, and Jerry does do the hook him at the end. He doesn't do it every time. I'm right. like every time at the end of the guy, right. but Jerry does do it. He's, he has done it before. That's true. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I have another thought here, and this is um, something that needs to be talked about a little bit. Uh, you know, 
with Texas and Oklahoma State this weekend, uh, the Cowboys and Mike Gundy, it's the final Big 12 game with Longhorns in it. Yeah, man. Um, what do you think this conference is going to be remembered as? I mean, the last 10 years has just been so bad overall for the University of Texas. Um, it started off so promising, beating Nebraska in the Big 12 pr- title game with James Brown, roll left. Uh, then Mac Brown came in, and uh, the, yeah, they lost the 2001 game, Rod, that you played in, but oh. uh, won the, the 2005 uh, oh. uh, game and won the national championship and just had 15 good years of football in Austin. That was just yeah. great, actually. Uh, among the best in the country, if not, I mean, if Texas wasn't the team of the two, uh, the aughts, I don't know who was. To be Oklahoma. honest, <laughs> and, uh, they didn't win. They didn't win a championship in the aughts. Well, uh, this is the problem. This, this is the problem. This is the problem, Bobby. The truth is, Texas underachieved in this conference. That's why we gotta get the hell out of here. All right. This is even though I was with Mac during the great years, the truth is for if you talk about the, the entire time, the entire tenure in this conference. Well, the last 15 fun. years, I completely agree. And we're talking about football, Texas. Uh, no, I'm, I'm talking the whole time, Bobby. Whole time. You got how many conference titles Texas got in this conference, Bobby? Three, I think. Right. That's or it? two. How yeah, three. Two or three. Exactly. How many? How many does Oklahoma have? Like 12. I think they got more than that. So my point is <laughs> that's why. Get the hell out of this conference and start over again. Can we screw this one up? Because Texas should have won more Big 12 titles. I'm a part of that, by the way. I'll I'll own that. That's on me, too. We should have played for more. We should have won more. Three? Oklahoma's got quadruple the amount of Big 12 titles you got in football? Guys, come on, guys. My boss, you should mock us and say, that Big 12 trophy's still in my office. What y'all talking about, man? (laughs) Go get y'all recruiting class, top five recruiting classes. Keep them coming. We're going to keep winning Big 12 titles. Guys, that's to me, that's what hurts about this conference most of all is that Texas underachieved this conference. We won. We won a national title. We did. Hell, we probably should have won more. Probably should have competed for more. I think we all know that. Yeah. Go and start in the SEC and start to represent the Texas football to the standard that it should be. Because I don't know if we actually. For the most part, I don't know if we lived up to that standard in the Big 12. I will admit that as a player myself, I will own that. That's on me. Um, I think compared to what Oklahoma did, we underachieved football-wise. Well, Oklahoma won a Big 12 championship with Paul Thompson at quarterback. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> no offense, but, I mean, he, he was not a quarterback, and Oklahoma still won it. And and that that does go towards Bob Stoops. I thought that he just ran a uh, – even though Texas fans don't like him, and nor should they necessarily, he just ran a strong program uh, that was built to last. He, he didn't have the ebbs and flows, maybe uh, that Texas had. But I, what, what do you think? Other than the underachievement, what are you going to take away from it? I mean, uh, Ricky's run, a big piece of that history, and that that occurred. Texas won a Heisman during the the Big Twelve. Uh, James Brown roll left. Colt McCoy's magical. Uh, 2008 season where, I mean, I, I still, the, my favorite uh, Texas OU game was 2008. I mean, still to this day. Uh, any other thoughts about the conference? I mean, any team you're sad to see go? Like I'm a little, I'm actually a little sad. I will say this, a little sad to see Kansas State go because I think they were that blue collar team that deserved to be there and, and challenged you a little bit. 
the rest, I mean, I don't, I don't really care if Texas plays Baylor, TCU, or Texas Tech. I, I would say no team. I'll say this though. Um, and by the way, we we asked about you asked about some score asking for people's score predictions. I'm at 45-17 this week in my early prediction. Texas big over Oklahoma State. Um, but I actually think Gundy. I, I have so much respect for Mike Gundy, what he's done in Stillwater. I agree with that. I, I, I'm not sure how many coaches you could have put in Stillwater at Oklahoma State for the last 19 years, and they would do the same thing that Mike Gundy did. How many coaches do you legitimately say, all right, I'm taking you out of your job and I'm putting you in Stillwater and you'd be 166 and 78. That guy's done an amazing job coaching. Mm -hmm. I'll actually miss, uh, and and Texas, some of the best comebacks of all time were against him, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those two comebacks year back to back years, yes, phenomenal. Yeah, so I'm not gonna miss a team. I'd miss, I'll miss, I'll miss Gundy, and we can still watch it from afar. I don't think he has many years left, but that guy's a hell of a coach, man. What he's done there is really remarkable. You know what? I'll piggyback on that, Jerry, because I think you hit the nail on the head there. We we probably can expand on this a little bit. What I'm gonna miss most about the Big Twelve is the kind of football uh, evolution that happens in the big 12 in terms of the ecosystem of it. Right. When you think about it, you know, the air raid pretty much came to prominence in the big 12. It was a, it was an incubator, right. For, (laughs) for the air raid offense. And I think 80% of the damn league was air raid offenses. And then the rest of the college football world just kind of siphoned, you know, that, that knowledge. And the three high, three down defense recently, we've talked about that's trickled up to the NFL. I mean, that started right here in, in the Big 12, right? It was an experimental ground for that. There have been a lot of great coaches. You just brought up Gundy. Uh, there have been a lot of great coaches here in the Big 12. Uh, Bob Stoops, we've just been talking about him, right? Bob Stoops one that brought the air raid in uh, to the Big 12. I'm going to miss kind of the, uh, the, uh, the, the football ecosystem of the Big 12 and how because of the way that everything, the landscape of it and the way everything laid out, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma at the top of it, and then all of these other middle of the road to kind of mid-major programs, how they had to compete. And they did it different ways. I remember Mike Gundy saying five years ago, hey, guys, I stopped, I stopped recruiting um, athletes in my back seven. I stopped recruiting like positions in my back seven, like specific positions. He said this on the record. He said, I just started recruiting athletes. I just got athletes. Guys with speed, guys with a certain size. If, if if they got in our weight room and our nutrition program, and they grew into a safety, he's a safety. Grew into a linebacker, linebacker. If he grew into a corner, corner. And he said he said he did it for multiple reasons. He said he did it number one because he started wasting scholarships on giving a safety. This guy, this guy's a safety. He, we recruit him as a safety, and then we bring him in. It's like so he's not a safety. So he's a he's a linebacker. What the hell? So we wasted the scholarships. Like, no, I'm gonna bring in athletes, spread babies, yeah. and then we'll we develop them into being different positions. Almost like Gary Patterson type deal. That's another guy, right? Gary yes. Patterson's coming in. One of those other great football minds that added to the kind of the, the, the evolution of adaptations that happened in the Big 12 uh, based on the ecosystem. So I'm going to miss that. I, I think, you know, it, listen, the NFL notices that too, right? There's a one point, guys, the NFL was looking at, you know, Cliff Kingsbury got fired in the Big 12. He got hired for the NFL job. They wanted Matt Campbell at one point. They wanted Lincoln Rowley at one point. Sark is from the league. Hell, John Haycock, they come to they come from the NFL to study his defense to Ian's Iowa. Like, they're only 
lot of conferences in college football, I'm telling you, that have the coaching gravitas and acumen and football intelligence and the football theory, really, that the Big 12 has. I've been studying it for years. It's very unique in that aspect. Not as unique as it was, because it's you know now it's a little different. Lincoln Riley's gone; it's kind of falling apart. But for the most part, guys, it was as unique coaching-wise, coaching acumen-wise, as any conference in the country, in my opinion, at one point. And, and Rod, to your point, if you go, if you get north of the uh, the Red River and go all the way up through Iowa, there aren't a lot of Division One football players. This is a coaching conference. They had to be coaching minds in this conference. Obviously, people yeah. have mentioned Bill Snyder, great yeah. coach. Absolutely yep. made the most of JUCO football Agreed. to maximize his program at Kansas State. He did what he had to do at Kansas State to win. But it, it brought football mind. You had to be a football mind in this conference because you couldn't out-athlete people. I yeah, couldn't add two more names. Overwhelm anybody with talent unless you were Texas or OU. You had to add a couple of them. I want to add a couple more things to think and, and add in this. What about the, the run and shoot? Not not, not the run and shoot, but the, the veer and shoot. Yeah, you're right. That's, That's now point. popularized one where a guy just got the head job at Mississippi State. Yep. Him, right? He did it at OU. Art Browse brought that in. Kendall Browse still running it uh, at uh, uh, yeah. TCU. That's that's another uh, invention, so to speak, that the Big 12 proliferated from. Uh, then I think about the running quarterback. I mean, you mentioned Bill Snyder in the running quarterback. Well, Greg Davis – and I mean, a lot of other teams, I think it was Rich Rod that started uh, the, uh, uh, yeah. what do you call that? The, the zone read. Yeah. yeah. It was truly Vince Young that weaponized it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I Woody right. Dantzler is not Vince Young, right? I agree. And so you think of that, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conference that, uh, to Rod's point and Jerry's point, various astute coaches had to be good coach, be well coached. To actually be good teams, right? All right, and compete and uh, made made it a made it an interesting thing. All right, a uh, couple of more thoughts and questions here before we get going. Thank you for we've got over fifteen hundred people in the chat. Hey, by the way, uh, fifteen hundred people. Thank you. Hit like and subscribe if you don't already. Hit that subscribe Amen. and the like button, please. That helps all of us out. Jerry actually might give you a hook him if you if you do that. By the way. <laughs> all right. Hey, the conference awards come out this week. Before the Big 12 championship game, they always do that. I think it'll probably be Wednesday this week. Uh, Tavondre Sweat, the conference defensive player of the year for you guys? He should be. I, I, I got a stat for you guys that it's going to be crazy. Rod, you mentioned passes defended. Yeah. You know, T Tavondre Sweat is second on passes defended in wow. Texas. That's how he's getting his mitts on. Just pause, he's getting a big pause. Aaron, Aaron Thompson, I think it is, or no, Terrence Brooks is first at six. Devondre okay. Sweat and Jaron Thompson are second at five. Wow. And honestly, ass is defended. He probably could have had a pick on a couple of those, Bobby. Remember, he like bats it down and drops it. I think he did. There were like two of them. Hey, who do y'all give the offensive player of the year to? Ollie Gordon or uh, maybe Dylan Gabriel? Dylan Gabriel. Probably Dylan. It's Dylan Gabriel, Ollie Gordon. It's one of those. Two. I think I think Ollie Gordon's going to win it. It went offensive player of the year, and I think he's going to win the Doke. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. And that's yeah. another thing too. Have we seen the finalists for the Doke? Don't the Big Twelve have like half the semifinalists out there? They yeah. they should have at least three. I want to say they got yeah, they got Taj Brooks, they got Ollie Gordon, Jonathan Brooks on there. 
man, and this is one thing we talk about too with the with the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve still people outside the Big Twelve who don't study and watch Big Twelve games, they still think the Big Twelve is a passing league. They have no idea the Big Twelve is now a running league, cross dressing as a passing league, right? Well, right. <laughs> well, they you out, but they're running the football. It's been the case for about four or five years, guys, because all of the, the the safeties, all of the too high safety looks in the Big Twelve, because they were getting lit up with those vertical shots from all the spread offenses. They went too high shell coverages, and teams decided, well, if we're yep. running against lighter boxes, why the hell we throw against a numbers disadvantage? Let's just run the football. So now everybody in the Big Twelve is running the football. Guys, you know what else, where else that happened? And this is just like football theory because you can study it. It happens everywhere. It happened in the NFL. NFL, same thing. The NFL, quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, they, and Joe, Joe Burrow came in the NFL lighting them up with vertical shots downfield. They started backing all their safeties up, playing a ton of two high shell coverages, and now the NFL is running the football more than they ever have with dual-threat quarterbacks averaging more yards per rush than they've ever averaged in the history of the league. Guys, it's cyclical. Football theory is happening everywhere at every level. Hey, and by the way, was Art Browse at Baylor not the, what you're talking about, Rod? Everybody said pass team, passing team, passing team. They ran it 60% of the exactly. time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But everybody just thought Baylor was a passing football team. But unless you actually watched them and dived into it, they uh they ran it 59 to 60% of the time most years. Amen. They probably chunked it deep so much. Yes. That's what it was. Yeah, the vertical. Yep. Yep. Uh, this uh, got a time for a couple more questions. Get them in here. Uh, by my uh, consideration, all we need to get into the playoff playoffs are wins by the Horns and Louisville on yes. Saturday. Sound right to y'all? Yes. And, uh, we talked about this earlier, Russell. You're just now joining us. That's absolutely what we believe as well. Now there are some other convoluted scenarios that are a little bit different, uh, which Kyle Witherspoon brings up here. Back to the FSU wins and Bama wins scenario. Mm-hmm. Well, we know Michigan, Oregon, Washington, and FSU then would be in. Oregon slash Washington. And if they choose Texas, then no SEC representation. Would that be wild? They have to choose Texas in that in that, that thought process, or else what are they doing? Is it just exactly. giving favoritism to a league? That There's a head-to-head win. That's right. I mean, there is a head-to-head win. It's uh, not – Yeah. You know, the, I, I don't like this – Trans- transitory conversation where all you know Texas beat uh tech by 50 and Oregon beat them by eight and I, that can that that can just literally be that time of day but when you play two teams play one another mm-hmm. there is no that's that's definitive if yep. Texas was sitting that's why I was pissed off about Texas not playing in the big 12 championship in 2008 Texas beat Oklahoma, period. Period. Yeah. Yeah. And just because Michael Crabtree out in Lubbock went nuts, you know. Um, and you know, yeah. anyways, I, my point to you, Kyle. You're right. Uh, I think uh, I think you're right. Hey, David Smith. I'm sorry we don't see a question attached. Uh, thanks for the super chat, though. Uh, if you ask next time, I'll try to get that in there uh, for you as well. All right. Uh, this one from Kevin Todd. I think. Our, I think Arch Manning can be classified as a dual threat QB. But I'll just say this. Hmm. Uh, I got a phone call from someone today. <laughs> mm, pretty good. Did not expect that kind of mobility from Arch Manning. They just thought he was another Manning. 
You, you know what a college coach texted me uh, th- this morning and called him? Slick. <laughs> a, slick a slick mover at the quarterback position. Yeah, you can't turn your back on him. Now his thing is like, well, now I can't play just man coverage without turning, with just turning my back on him without having either my D lineman be really disciplined in pass rush lanes or putting a spy out there to wait on him to be a scrambler or for him, honestly, to be potentially weaponized in the zone read scheme, which yeah. I don't know. Sark, Sark always says he's that major in the quarterback running game and won't ever do it. He almost mocks it when you bring it up. So he's not going to ever do that. But seeing a Manning run around like that is pretty wild. He might. I, I like, by the way, we've had like five questions. Uh, same guy keeps ask, asking, so I want to address it. Uh, vanilla Vince. Um, on Evan Stewart, uh, what does Mike Elko do for Evan Stewart? We'll have to see. I mean, this is all NIL from here on out. I can tell you this, though. When I reported that Evan Stewart wasn't uh, traveling uh, to LSU, he wasn't traveling to LSU. I mean, that was done deal. He wasn't going to LSU, even though uh, A&M didn't want to report that for a while, the people that cover A&M. And he was at that time expected to go into the portal. Um, and the four teams were Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, and Texas. Let's see now uh, how Texas A&M comes back uh, with, uh, at Evan Stewart and see what happens. We'll see. Uh, I mean, I, I still lean to him, at least testing the portal, baby. But we'll see. I mean, there's a uh, there's about a week here where AM can uh, try to keep him from jumping. Even though he technically could jump in the portal, there's about a week here that AM has to play with there. All right. I want to mention one more thing about Arch and go back to that real quick. He was decisive. 100%. On the goal line, when he threw that ball into coverage, I mean, he threw it like a rocket. But he made the decision and went with it. When he ran for the first down on that third down, he saw it and he went. Um, a young guy that that age making decisions that quickly portends very well uh, for what's to come. Uh, I also will say this, and Sark said, told him a good drive on the uh, after the the eight minute long drive. Name me the last freshman quarterback that had an eight minute drive on his second series. Yeah. Give me a break. First action ever, eight-minute drive. That's controlling the offense even within the confines of it because uh, yep. he wasn't asked to pass very much, but still. All right, uh, that's going to do it for tonight, guys. We've got coffee and football in the morning. Uh, we start our 12 days of Christmas coming up. Uh, we've got a gift every week or every day that we're going to be talking about uh, as well. Uh, Jerry, you and uh, the guys have more news at InsideTexas.com. Uh, Rod, uh, you you and Jerry have talking ball tomorrow. I've got lunch with the coach as well. Uh, make sure you visit us over at Inside Texas, either later tonight or tomorrow. Uh, get your the place for Longhorn football news and recruiting. Uh, for Rod Babers and Jerry Hamilton, I'm Bobby Burton. And guess what? Hook them. Hook them. <laughs> <laughs> double hook them, double hook them, triple hook them. <laughs>